0: Well good morning everyone. It's my absolute pleasure to continue our sermon series through Mark. So we'll be back in chapter 10 and we're going to be reading from verses 13 through 16. So feel free to follow along in your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen. But either way let's stand together as we come before God's Word as it deserves all the glory this morning. Our passage begins like this. And they were bringing children to him laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Pray with me now. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of your love. I pray now that you would speak through this sermon to remind us that we are your children, that you are faithful. Teach us more of who you are today. Amen. You may be seated. How do you receive good news? How do you typically respond to it? I think the answer to this question for us rightfully depends on the context. For example, your reaction to hearing that your favorite team just won the Super Bowl wouldn't be your same reaction for me telling you that the rotisserie chicken at the Harris Teeter is down 80 cents. That just isn't the same type of good news for most of us. I also think good news depends on how other people react to it as well. For instance, if my good news is actually really bad news for someone around me, I'll give you all an example of this for me in my life. About four months ago, I was trapped at the Carolina DMV, and I had literally spent five hours waiting in line with no place to sit. And by the end of this journey, I was told by one of the employees that I would be the last walk-in they would see that day. Now, this was great news for me, but it was horrific for the people behind me because they had to go home with nothing to show for their day. So if I had celebrated loudly in front of them, I would have been rightfully judged for that. And so I received that good news with a calm, collected demeanor, when on the inside, I was ecstatic. <laughs> you see, how we respond to good news, how we receive it, says a lot about its importance for our lives. It says a lot about its implications for us. So this morning, the question we should ask ourselves is, how should we receive the good news of the gospel? How ultimately should we receive the fact that Jesus gave his life to save us? How do we receive the fact that when we believe in Jesus, we're forgiven? But not only that, we are called his sons and his daughters. How do we receive that? news? How do we receive it when we live in a world that, frankly, is very difficult? how do we receive that in the same day that we feel like our life might be falling apart? How do I rejoice in this relationship I have with Jesus when I feel like my own sin is hurting relationships around me? Well, I think our passage today in Mark chapter 10 gives us a great answer to that question. For in this passage, we're going to see that Jesus asks us as his children to come before him. And he's going to show us three ways we should receive Him. Firstly, we as adopted children of God should receive Jesus with humility. Secondly, we should receive Him with full dependence. And then lastly, we should receive Christ with trust in His promises. So let's begin this morning by looking at that first call, the fact that we should receive Christ with humility. Um, So let's begin in verse 13, where it says, that people were, a great crowd of people were coming before Jesus, seeking his blessing. Now, this was nothing out of the ordinary, because throughout the Gospel of Mark, you've probably noticed, Jesus is often chased by great crowds of people. In fact, we've even seen the rich and powerful seek out Jesus. You might remember, or seen before, that in Mark chapter 8, a centurion seeks out Jesus, a very powerful political man. Or in Mark 9, you might have heard about how a synagogue ruler needed his help. A very powerful religious figure sought out his need. But in this story today, it is not the powerful, it is not the rich that need Jesus. It's the vulnerable. For the end of verse 13 tells us that a noisy, chaotic group of children came before him. So how is Jesus going to respond to a noisy group of kids? How is he going to meet them where they are. Well, sadly, we see how the disciples respond to them first. For verse 13 says they didn't welcome these kids in. They actually rebuked them. In other words, the disciples criticized these young children for thinking they could get Jesus's time. They criticized them for thinking they could be in a relationship with this teacher. Maybe the disciples even thought Jesus had become too influential or too important to waste time with someone as humble as a child. And so literally like bodyguards trying to protect a celebrity, they try to send these children home. They say, you are not worthy of his time. Now, thankfully, Jesus notices what they're doing and he responds quickly. If you look with me at verse 14, we see how he responds. The text says he became indignant or righteously frustrated at how the disciples showed lack of compassion to these kids. And then he openly corrects them. He says, let the little children come to me. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Friends, have you ever thought or considered what Jesus means when he says the kingdom of God belongs to those like these little kids? Is he saying that we need to settle for a surface-level view of the gospel to accept the Savior's love? Is he saying we need to be ignorant of the evil around us to understand the beauty of God? Is he saying that we need to always just think, God loves me, and not ask any other questions? I would say that is definitely not what Jesus is saying. In fact, we are called to grow in our faith, to notice the brokenness around us so we can be a light in the darkness. And to bring our worries before God because he can meet us in that. So no, Jesus is not saying you need to remain in ignorance or immaturity. But he is calling you to notice something else about these kids. He wants you to notice their humble posture in approaching Christ. You see, they were coming before Jesus without any assumption that they deserved to be there. They came to him without any wealth of their own any status, any preconceived notion of who they were. They were simply children running to be with one they wanted to be with. They had no way of earning their way into being in Jesus' presence. They weren't like the centurion who could make a pretty good argument of why he could talk to someone. But these kids had nothing. They had no way to prove that they deserved to have a relationship with Christ. And friends, I hope we realize this morning that in a lot of ways we're in that same situation. We come before the Lord today in worship with nothing of ourselves to earn his love. We come before him today realizing that he is a holy and righteous God. And we're not always righteous. We struggle. We make mistakes. We need mercy. And the reality is like these children, we can't earn that It is by the work of what Christ has done for us on the cross that we can have this relationship. It is through his work that we are forgiven by his righteousness. And so we don't obey God's commands to somehow earn a relationship with him. We obey God's commands because he has already done enough. He has already said, I love you and I want to save you. So this morning, know that you are called to follow God's commands as a humble child out of worship to Him, out of acknowledgement that He knows what is best for us when we don't, and out of our acknowledgement that He is our Savior, He is our Lord, and He can change us. Our calling is to live by faith, and that is not something we accomplish. Living by faith is God's work in us. So as children, we need to come before him and acknowledge in humility that we need him to work in us. We need him to change us. We need to, make, we need to allow him to make us into men and women who delight in following his truth. And I know that's difficult for us to always acknowledge because we live in a world that wants us to earn our titles, to earn recognition. But with Christ, there's no way we earn the title of being his child. We simply receive it. We simply come as we are, and Jesus says, I want to work in you today. Peter especially needed to hear that lesson. If you know this disciple, throughout Jesus' time on earth, Peter always said, Lord, I will always be faithful to you. Even if everyone else betrays you, I will still be here. But we see when push comes to shove, Peter not only betrays Jesus, he does it three times. But then we see after Jesus resurrects, he comes to Peter specifically. And he says, I forgive you, Peter. He allows Peter to acknowledge his sin. And then he affirms his love for this disciple. And he says, go and show this mercy I've given you now to others. Go and be my humble child and lead the church that I'm going to grow through you. And that's really what he is calling us today. When we come before Jesus in repentance of our sins, he forgives us. He says, take my mercy. Go and use it to serve others. I think the musical Les Mis provides a wonderful example of how Jesus reconciles us in our sin. If you've ever seen the movie, watched the play, or read the book, you might remember in the first half, we are introduced to this main character, Jean Valjean. And John spent most of his life behind prison. He was identified as one who stole a loaf of bread and was forever condemned for that act, at least in the eyes of the state. And when he's finally released from prison, he's told by everyone that there's no way you can change. There's no way you can make up for what you did. And so John lives with this penalty. He goes from town to town and no one shows him any care until he finally comes to this one priest in this humble French village. This priest invites him into his home. He gives John a warm place to sleep and a good meal to eat. He shows him love that John didn't know how to deal with. John, even when he's at home in this priest's house, wakes up in the middle of the night and thinks, I'm not worthy of this love. Once he realizes I'm just a robber, He will kick me out like everyone else. So I need to take what I can now before he realizes who I really am. And so John wakes up in the middle of the night almost out of compulsion and steals this collection of silver this priest owned. And then he runs off into the darkness hoping he never sees him again. But we're told about a day later that the authorities catch up with John. They bring him back before this priest, back before the one who has every right to judge him and condemn him. But the priest shows John something he never experienced. The priest shows him mercy. He says, John, I forgive you for what you did. In fact, I'm not going to hold it over you. And I want you to keep what you meant to steal from me as a way to change your life. I want you to keep this silver. I want you to use it to go and serve people like I have just served you, to help people change like I just helped you change. Friends, that's what Jesus does when he offers us the ultimate gift of his mercy. He says, I see what you are struggling with. I want to help you change. Use this love and mercy I'm offering you this morning to love people in my name. Be my humble child in serving others like I serve you. So how do you receive that? How do you live as a humble child in Christ? Well, I think we have to acknowledge that we are sinners, I think we have to acknowledge that we are broken and that we don't deserve the mercy given to us. I also think we acknowledge that God's work is greater than what we can do. And so we should come to the Lord every day in acknowledgement that we aren't enough, but he can be enough through us. He can change us. He can meet us where we are. Let's no longer try to define God's love by how he meets us in temporary terms. Let's not say, God, you only love me by making me successful or giving me an intimate marriage or giving me easy friends to get along with. No, you love me by working through me. You help me deal with my brokenness. And you promise that one day you will call me home and I will live with you forever. That is how God shows his love to us. That is his promise to us, that he will begin a good work in us and he will bring it to completion. I also think, secondly, we have to live in humility with other people. We shouldn't define people as worthy or unworthy of our kindness like the disciples were trying to do. Instead, we need to see each other as fellow brothers and sisters who are all struggling, who are all growing. Let's invite each other as a church to grow together. Let's not be a place where we just join together and don't talk about real things, but let's be willing to walk beside one another. Let's be a hospital because we are all hurting people that need mercy every day, that need to be in community with people who can be patient and show the love of Christ to one another. That is what we can do to be a community of humble sons and daughters which really leads us into just considering the fact that in humility we realize we are dependent on Christ. That moves us to our second point for today, that we as adopted children of Jesus must receive him with full dependence. Notice these children that came before Christ in this passage today lived in a time where they had no independence of their own. They were completely dependent on their parents or their guardians for everything. They need their parents' help for safety, for food, for inheritance. And there was no structured way in the Roman government to care for an orphan. There was no structured way to care for the neglected. So a child either was dependent on those around him or he was left to his own devices. And as Christians today, Christ wants us to consider the fact that we too, like these children, are dependent on Him. We don't live in independence. We live in full dependence on what He is for us. We don't need to live on our own strength. We need to find it in Him. He is our strength. He is our hope. You see, this is something the disciples really struggled with. They thought that they one day, if they learned enough from Jesus, they would be their own authority. They thought at times that they deserved their own honor apart from Christ. And we really see that in how they argued amongst themselves who would be the greatest. Or how James and John go directly to Jesus and say, we want you to make us second in command. You see, they were functioning with this mindset that they could one day be enough on their own and not need their Savior's direction. We especially see that in Mark 9. If you remember, Felipe wonderfully taught us this earlier. But the disciples tried to cast out an unclean spirit without even praying for God to help them. They tried to make their ministry and their life about themselves. They didn't submit it to their creator. They didn't rely on him with dependence. But you see, the one who realizes that independence is a foreign concept and rather we are fully dependent on Jesus every day, that's the man or woman that are going to receive him like these children received him. Jesus says as much to us in verse 15, when he says, Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That person who won't receive him like a child will forever believe that they can still make life work on their own. They'll believe that their sin isn't really that big a deal. They'll believe their desires aren't corrupted. They'll think that they have life figured out and they don't need any type of redemption. They might look at Jesus and say, you're a great teacher, you're a great guide, but you are not my savior. I don't need anyone to save me. And sadly, I really can't think of a better way to describe the struggle of our modern culture. We have been conditioned for so long to find truth and strength in ourselves. That pursuing our own personal desires is the only way we'll be happy. That living by self-expression is the way we'll find worth. And we really see that argument, especially in modern magazines. Vogue magazine recently published an article on New Year's Day in which they argued the best way we can move from the last two years of the pandemic in darkness is to find hope in who we are in humanity, to find hope in our self-expression, and not to try to lean on anyone else for our strength, but to be strong as individuals. But if you accept that idea, if you try to rely on your own strength, what's going to happen when you face a trial you can't overcome? What's going to happen when your strength reaches its limit and you face burnout? What are you going to do if you fail to reach your dreams? Or perhaps even worse, you cross that finish line, you sacrifice everything, and you realize it wasn't enough to satisfy you. You realize it wasn't enough to fix you. You See, without the foundational love of your Savior, friends, your hope and joy will forever be vulnerable, dependent on a disappointing world. If you try to build your house on the unstable foundation of a human relationship, a job position, a physical appearance, at one point or another, the world will bring this hope crashing down. Believing you have an identity or hope apart from Christ is setting yourself up for heartbreak. I think the rock band Dawes has a song that wonderfully acknowledges the futility of finding hope in a disappointing world. In their track titled, It Didn't Fix Me, the lead singer gives us a numbing journey of how he goes to all the wrong places to find hope. We see him go to philosophy, to self-help books, to charity, to award ceremonies, and then finally to a woman he decides to marry. But he says even in the closing line of this song that though this marriage has been so good, though it has made him stronger than he ever thought he could, he humbly acknowledges not even this could fix him. Not even this could fix the fact that he had a broken heart and he needed someone to restore him, a savior to meet him. I think if we're honest, we all come to that same realization at one point or another, that this world can't really satisfy us. It might distract us for a time, but it can't change the fact that we are all in need of someone to restore us. And friends, the only way you can deal with your broken heart is depend on Christ alone. In him, you have a relationship that will never betray you. You have a future that is always sure. In him, you can stand with confidence. You can depend on him because he will never fall away. I want to remind you all the words of Psalm 46, which says that God is our refuge and our strength. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains may move into the heart of the sea, we will not fear. Even if you feel like your life right now is being thrown into the heart of the sea, I want you to hear me. You are with hope. You have a fortress. Your God is here with you. If you feel like you have all these emotions that you're trying to bottle up and not show anyone, I want you to know that you can bring those emotions to him. I want you to know that wherever you are today, whether you are in a joyful place or a hard place, God is still standing with you. Don't try to do it alone. Don't try to follow your own desires. Lean on him. Go to his word as a reminder that he is faithful. Lift up your needs, your worries to him in prayer. He will respond to you. He will listen. Know that if we try to go alone, it won't go well. But if you are with Christ, you are with one who has a plan for you. You are one who has a purpose. Whether you are in a time of grief or a time of joy, there is still a plan in both. So let's depend on that plan. So friends, what's the key to humbly depending on Christ alone? Well, we have to live by faith. Which brings us to our third point for today, that we as adopted children must receive Jesus with trust in his promises. Remember, the kids came to Christ for a specific purpose. They came to Christ for him to bless them. And notice with me in verse 16 how Jesus blesses them. The text says he took these children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and blessed them. Now, unfortunately, we're not given the exact words Jesus says in this blessing, but I want you guys to notice the way he goes about blessing them. I think the manner he takes in blessing them actually sends some beautiful promises to you and me. Notice first that Jesus literally takes them as a group and embraces them. He holds them with a tender love as though a father would hold their offspring or a mother would hold their son or daughter. He's essentially telling us that today he's here to embrace you and me. He's here to hold us as we deal with our lives. He's essentially saying, when you are in my arms, I will never let you go. No demonic force can take you away. No power of man can take you out of my arms. No weakness or failure of your own can change the fact that I'm here for you. Once you are Jesus' child, you are always Jesus' child. Jesus says as much in John 10, verse 28, when he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Friends, know that you are in Jesus' arms this morning. Know that he won't let you go. Are you feeling downcast? Are you feeling alone in a struggle? Join with me in bringing that struggle to him. God promises that he will weep with you like he weeped with Mary and Lazarus. God promises that as his beloved child, he will listen to you. He will hold you as the storm passes over. So sit in his arms. Be willing to lean on him. Trust him that he is leading you where you need to go. Secondly, I want you guys to notice something else that Jesus does for these kids. He doesn't just hold them as a group, right? He reaches out and blesses them individually. And I want you guys to know today that that is true for you and me. Jesus is pursuing us personally. He's pursuing us individually. We are not lost in the crowd as believers. No, we are pursued individually by a God who cares. He is invested in your life. And he's pursuing you. He knows you better than anyone else could. And yet he still delights in being with you. I know being known and cared for is something we as humans universally all crave. And I think social media has exposed that desire in us more than anything else. Social media, we present our ideas, our thoughts, and our photos with this hope that people will notice us that they'll respond to who we are, that they'll engage with us. As though someone replying to what I send gives me some type of worth or value. And when we don't get a response, when someone ignores us, we think that says something about our value. We get filled with all this insecurity. It's really ironic that in a world so connected by phones where we could talk to anyone we want to, we probably live in one of the most insecure generations we've ever seen. So I want you guys to realize that in Christ, there is no reason to live in insecurity when it comes to facing him. There is no reason to be insecure about your relationship with Jesus. He is a savior who wants to be with you. In fact, he delights in you and he says that you are beautifully made. He sees you as his most prized possession, the pinnacle of his handiwork. I know when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we can be filled with all these insecurities, all these doubts. But when Jesus sees you, he says, you are a man or a woman made in my image. You are beautiful in my sight. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So friends, let's believe what Jesus says about us over the world. If people mock or slander us, let's remind ourselves that we are God's children. If rejection comes our way, let's not be defined by a human choice. Let's be defined by our Savior's choice to pursue us. And if we have deep wounds of what people have said about us in the past, or ways we've been let down in the past, Jesus says, I will redeem that. Listen to the words of Revelations 21.4, where Jesus says, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. That's Jesus' ultimate promise to you. That when he returns, he will redeem every part of your life. He will redeem those broken friendships. He will redeem those broken relationships. He will redeem those shattered dreams that you had to let go. When he returns, he will bring you peace and comfort. And he's offering you that peace right now. So let's respond by receiving it. Let's respond by trusting what God says about us is true. Let's believe he is who he says he is this morning. So in closing today, let's be children who receive him with humility, acknowledging that we don't deserve these blessings and mercy, but he gives it to us because that's who he is. Let's depend on him alone because we cannot overcome this world by ourselves. We need him every day. Whether you are single, a parent, a grandparent, wherever you are right now in your life, you need to depend on Jesus. We don't ever reach a place where we are too good to not need his strength. And then finally, let's trust that he is with us in every season and that he won't let us go. Let's cling to our father because he is enough. Amen. Pray with me. Dear Lord, I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that we can depend on you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live with hearts that are open to you. Help us, Lord, wherever we go after this, to trust you, to lean on you, and to love others in the same way you first loved us. We praise you and we thank you, Lord, because you are our Father. Amen.